Lord's ways. Amen. 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 So, we come to the time in our worship service where uh, we are fed the Word of God. And we are now currently studying through um, uh, the letter to the Hebrews, originally a sermon manuscript preached 2,000 years ago uh, that still connects with us today. And the theme of the entire letter of Hebrews is Jesus is better, Jesus is better, Jesus is better. And we're into this section of Hebrews about how Jesus is a better way of life, a better way of life. And the, the better way of life that Jesus offers is the life of faith, the life of faith. So we've been studying this question, what is faith? What is faith? And we've been learning about aspects of faith from Hebrews chapter 11. Today we're going to be studying about the life of this Old Testament character who is mentioned in Hebrews 11, Abraham. Abraham. So I'm going to read two passages of scripture this morning. If you have your Bibles, meet me in Genesis 22, first book of the Bible, Genesis 22, Genesis 22, verses 1 through 14, verses 1 through 14. And then, and then, um, um, without pause, after I read Genesis 22, 1 through 14, we're going to read Hebrews 11, 17, 18, and 19. Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. Hebrews 11 interprets Genesis 22, okay? So the Bible interprets the Bible here, and that's why we want to pay attention to that. And, and if I could put a tag on this message, it would be Abraham's test of enduring faith. Say that with me. One, two, three. Abraham's test of enduring faith. There it is. Abraham's test of enduring faith. Hear these words from the word. Genesis 22 and then Hebrews 11. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father. He said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood. Where is the lamb for a burnt offering? 
And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But, but, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which Figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. This is the word of God. God, you want me to do what? And the Lord had spoken to Abraham inexplicably and unmistakably. God wanted not just any son, but your son. Your only son, Isaac. Not Ishmael. Isaac. Whom you love. God knew exactly who he wanted. And you go to the land of Moriah. Go. Go. Same verb as the verb go from Ur in Genesis chapter 12. 
Go from Ur in Genesis chapter 12 and go from your home to Moriah in Genesis 22. Go. Go and offer him as a burnt offering. To offer the child as a burnt offering would mean to bind the child on the altar, slay the child, then cremate the child and the wood until it was nothing but ashes. It would be as if Sarah had never given birth. Why, why would God ask this? I mean, Isaac was the son of the promise. The, Isaac was the miracle child, the miracle child to a 90-year-old Sarah. Isaac was the channel of God's global blessing. Through you, all nations will be blessed. And now this, and now this. God, God, the God who told Abraham to forsake his past was the God who was telling Abraham to forsake his future. What, what kind of God would make this kind of ask? Is, is Israel's God a moral monster? I mean, we might as well just acknowledge it at the outset. This text feels disturbing. And, and to, to many who would read this, um, they would conclude, well, this is what's wrong with religion. You know, the idea that you can do something because God told you. You're killing a child? People should be horrified with this. And... and, and Really, no wonder many non-Christians conclude, you know, that this text endorses, you know, the irrationality of blind faith. And no wonder many would then conclude that blind faith is one of the greatest causes of religious violence. God told me to. I mean, you know, how can you argue that? You sit in that tension for a little while, will you? Yeah. Yeah. And yet, what do we see here in Genesis 22? What do we see? What, what, let's, let's privilege the text. What's the text say? The text says that the next morning, Abraham got up and prepared for the trip and then immediately set out. You see verse 3? So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. It was a three-day trip. Do you notice something in, in verse 3? Nobody's talking. I mean, there's this sober silence that overshadows uh, the, the, the three-day journey. And on the third day, they arrive. Stay here, Abraham says to the young attendants. Isaac and I will go up. Isaac and I will go up. And so on the way, on the way, it, like, it, it occurred to Isaac, Father, I'm carrying the wood. You have a knife and the fire. But what about the lamb? Where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? Verse 8. Do you hear him? Do you hear him? God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So, 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 so they went, both of them together, they went. And once there, Abraham built the altar, arranged the wood, and bound his son, bound his son. He placed him on the wood. Recall now, Abraham is, is probably around 115, 115 years of age. So Isaac is likely a young adolescent, strong enough to carry wood, Young enough to ask a question like, you know, what, what about the, the, what about the, the lamb? 
and, and yet he lets his father bind him. The rabbis, the rabbis would call this passage the, the binding of Isaac, the Akedah of Isaac, the binding of Isaac. And verse 10 gives us the moment of truth. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Did Isaac look at his father? Is, is Abraham really going to go through with this? Is, this, is this? is he really going to do this? Verse 11, but, this holy but, this thankful, gracious but, those little words have big meanings, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. It's the fastest reply in history. Don't. Verse 12, angel said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Fear, fear there in verse 12. does not mean to cower in fear. It means to honor and respect. That's what it means. It, it, it means unrivaled allegiance to the everlasting God. It means that nothing comes between Abraham and God. Nothing, nothing comes between Abraham and God. And look, 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 look at the text. The Lord did provide, verse 13, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And, and Moses, Moses, who gave us the, this Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the law, the Pentateuch, the Torah, Moses adds in verse 14. Do you see it there? So Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide as it is said to this day to this day on the mount of the lord it shall be provided so so remember israel first received this word as they had just been emancipated from egypt after 400 years of slavery and they were instructed to remember their emancipation through a holiday called the passover Israel's most important holiday, they would recall that the Lord's provision was why Isaac and with him all of Israel would live. Because all of Israel was on that altar when God provided the substitute. There's nothing like this chapter in the entire Old Testament. And, and yet, I'm still curious about, you know, why God did this, you know, and, and what this was about. And then I read a word in Hebrews chapter 11 that also shows up in Genesis 22, Genesis 22, 1. And Hebrews eleven seventeen, Genesis twenty two verse one, and Hebrews eleven seventeen. 
You see that word there? You know what the word is? The word is test. Test. Genesis 22.1. God tested Abraham. And then Hebrews 11.17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, tested. And that's an important clue because we, the reader, we know something that Abraham didn't know, that it was a test. It was a test. Genesis 22 tells of a test. Isaac's life was never in danger because it wasn't about Isaac. It was about Abraham. It was about forging a resilient and enduring faith, which is exactly what Abraham needed. I mean, I mean, think about it for just a minute. <laughs> I mean, we often read Genesis 22 just as a standalone chapter. And, and oh my goodness, we've got to read the entire context. You cannot divorce Genesis 22 from all that's gone on uh, in Abraham's life. Because Genesis chapter 22 says, After these things, God tested Abraham. Do you see that? After these things. What things? Well, the things that go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, right? Remember in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham goes from Ur. God said, I want you to go. I want you to leave your father's family. I want you to leave your father's land. I want you to leave your kindred. I want you to go. So Abraham goes, and yet he, yet he brings along Lot, his nephew. Maybe he's thinking, I'll bring along Lot for plan B. I'll help God out is what I'll do. Oh. Yeah, 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 maybe that's it. And so, so, so he gets to Canaan, and immediately, immediately he finds a famine in the land. And then he goes, to, he goes to Egypt. Was he supposed to? He wasn't told to, but he went anyway. And once there, he lies to Pharaoh about his wife, Sarah, saying to Sarah, you're, you are so beautiful. Oh, you're so beautiful. They're going to kill me and take you, so, let, let, so, so, so tell them you're my sister. What? Oh, and then in Genesis chapter 14, Lot, Lot, nephew Lot, you know, plan B, Lot, Lot, Lot gets himself in trouble with some Canaanite kings, and Abraham has to rescue him. And oh, wait a minute, then in Genesis chapter 15, God explicitly says to Abraham that the heir would come from his body. It's not going to come from Lot. It's not going to come from your servant Eleazar. It's going to come from your body. And then in Genesis chapter 16, Sarah gets impatient. And she says, Abe, this is, you know, this, I ain't getting any younger. This ain't going to work. Take my servant Hagar. She's young. Go into that tent, impregnate her, and the child will be legally ours. And Abraham says, okay. And then he gets her, gets her pregnant. Ishmael was born, and there's been conflict ever since. And, oh, and then, and then, in Genesis chapter 20, Abraham lies again, the same thing he did to Pharaoh, he does to this king named Abimelech. And then God comes through in Genesis 21, Isaac is born. And then we arrive at Genesis 22, after these things. So you see... You, you, you'd almost expect this test to come. Because what we've seen so far is, uh, well, Abraham had a clumsy faith. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. A clumsy faith. He, he kind of keeps getting in the way. And so God fires up the refinery. And he tests Abraham in order to refine his faith. And enduring faith is a refined faith. And Abraham enters a crucible in order to eradicate what stands between himself and God. Church family, right here, right now, there are times when God tests us. And some of you are in that test right now. But, but listen to me. When God tests us, it's not so that he can learn something new about us. Okay? No, no, no. No, God, God, God's tests are not intended for his research God's tests are intended for our refinement. God does not test us to discover something he doesn't know. He tests us to purify what he has put in us. And he, he means to remove what gets between ourselves and him so that we will endure, so that we will have enduring faith. And, and so let's be clear here on this. This test was unique to Abraham because Abraham is unique. There could only be one Abraham. And so there can only be a unique test designed for him. So God's not going to ask us to do what he asked of Abraham. I'm going to ask you to go up and child sacrifice. That would be an irresponsible interpretation. We, we, we don't say that. We, what, what, what we can say is what James chapter 1 says. Brothers and sisters, count it all joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops endurance. And endurance must finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, we can say that. We can also say what Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10 says, that God tests us, Hebrews 12, 10. God tests us in order that we may share in his holiness. That's why God tests us. We can say what 1 Peter 1, 6 says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes even though tested by fire, that, 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 that the tested genuineness of your faith might result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God tests your faith to purify your faith because a purified faith leads to an amplified Christ. And I bet there's someone in here who's experiencing a test right now. Some of you are experiencing the test of suffering, physical suffering. Or maybe some sort of mental or emotional suffering. You're just, you're hurting. Others of you are here today and you're experiencing test, 
a test of scarcity. Man, your finances are tight. And you just can't get whatever you want whenever you want it. You've got to be very selective about your purchases. It's a test of scarcity. And I'll bet someone in here is experiencing a test of prosperity. And so the question is, what happens to your faith when your bankroll grows? Well, what happens to your faith when your name is on the marquee? Can you still be dependent, humble? Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, a needle, a needle eye, than it is for a rich man to enter heaven. And C.S. Lewis read that and quipped, it is possible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, but it's going to be very hard on the camel. Some of you are experiencing a test of loneliness. Someone you love is gone. And that person may be living far away. That, that person may be living with God. And your heart aches. Some of you have children. And, uh, you know, you've, you've done your job as a parent and they've left. And man, there's a, there's a loneliness there. Some of you may be asked to, um, you know, to sacrifice your children, not like Abraham, but, but maybe God is calling them to a vocation where they won't earn the money that you earn, or they won't have the job that you wish they had, or they may, may not be living in proximity with you. Can you trust God? Even then. Can you trust God even then? And that leads to another test, a test of identity. A test of identity. You've, you've, you've been perceived, you've been thought of, you've acted in the role of, you fill in the blank. And now that's gone. That's gone. So my identity as a child of God, can, can we... Can we sit in that identity and be at peace in that identity? Can we? Can we? Can, and can we do it not just on the first day, but on the third day? On the third day, do you see that? See, enduring faith is not a faith that just is at the outset, but it's a faith that goes the third day. And yes, some of you may have a test of persecution. You may be experiencing that right now. You work in a hostile work environment and your faith may cost you a promotion or a pay raise. So all of these tests, all of these tests are meant to develop maturity toward an enduring faith. And as the Israelites read these words, they were the first to read these words as they were about to enter the land of promise. And they endured because of Abraham's faithfulness. So the blessing of our endurance comes from someone else's faithfulness. And likewise, others are blessed because of our enduring faith too. 
So, so if you're in a season of testing, it's not because God wants to punish you. It's because he wants to produce something in you that you simply cannot produce on your own. This is why I like what Paul David Tripp says. God will take you where you do not want to go to produce in you what would not be produced otherwise. God is doing that. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we know something Abraham doesn't know about this test. But you know what? I think Abraham knows something that maybe we don't know. I think that, I think that maybe he sees something that maybe we, we may not see that will help us toward an enduring faith. So, so after these things, let's go back to that phrase, after these things. So after these things has to do with four decades of walking with God. Beginning when he was 75 and leaving Ur to the time of that uh, testing at Moriah. After four decades, Abraham finally learned that he didn't need to help God. He could trust God. And so the Abraham of Genesis 22 is radically different than the Abraham of Genesis 12. And Abraham had finally and wholeheartedly come to trust the Lord. He believed that God existed, right? Hebrews 11, 6. And that he, that, and that he rewarded those who earnestly sought him. That is, he believed God existed and he believed that God had the goods. God is the supplier. God is the resource, the supplier of every good and perfect gift. And that's why Genesis 2, uh, excuse me, James 2.23, James 2.23 calls Abraham a friend of God. A friend of God. Abraham's God's friend. He, so he, so, so after four decades, he, he just knew, he knew God. Here's what I'm trying to say. I'm like, let, me, let me put it this way. My professor, Herschel York, put it this way. He said, the question of why was lost in the knowledge of who. The question of why was lost in the knowledge of who. So, so Abraham didn't know why he was being tested, but he knew who was testing him. And so the who behind the command surpassed the why of the command. And, and, and so for Abraham, his attitude was if God asks me for something, he must have a good reason for asking it, and I don't have to know why, and that's not blind faith because I've walked with him for 40 years. And over 40 years, every year, every day, every hour, every minute, God has proven his loyalty. And, and, and perhaps that's why in Genesis 22... You know, we don't read any emotional reflection, not that that's insignificant, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that we don't read any emotional reflection or internal dialogue, or we don't read of any dark night of the soul in Abraham. None of that is in Genesis 22. What you have is the God who is sovereign over heaven and earth. What you have is the God of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What you have is the God, this sovereign creator God, 
who makes a request to one of his subjects who has learned to trust him in any and every situation, one who is so close to this God, he does not have to understand the details. He has been conditioned by training to trust the Lord. If God, so if God is for me, who can be against me? If God is for me, and so, so what was Abraham thinking going up that mountain? I imagine he was just recounting the promise of Genesis 15. You know, I'm, I'm going to make of you into a great nation. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to come through for you. Trust me, trust me, trust me. And he walked right, left, right, left, trusting God. And that's why Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19, Hebrews 11, verse 19 says that Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. And, 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 and I think that's why Abraham told the young attendants, Isaac and I, we will go up, we will worship, and we will come back. Hallelujah. We will come back. Yeah. So, so, so on, on his way up the mountain, the only way Abraham was able to rationally make sense of this inexplicable request is that he knows the God who can raise the dead. And when we trust God's power to raise the dead, then sacrifice is no loss and death is no threat. Because you can never lose what God requires of you. Ever. Enduring faith is a faith in the power of the God who can raise the dead. Abraham didn't act in blind faith. He, didn't, he wasn't gambling with Isaac's life. The scripture says he considered. He considered. That's an accounting term. That's an accounting term, meaning he did the math. He reasoned. And when he pushed the equal button, the calculator said, resurrection. And I think we struggle with this passage because we think God's taken us to Las Vegas. Yeah. And, 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 it's, you know, and our faith is kind of like a casino, and we're hopeful, we're wishful, we're going to throw the dice, and it's going to be a long shot. That, that is not the faith of the Bible. The faith of the Bible rests on the reliability of the God who raises the dead. And the closer I get to this God, the better it will go for me. Amen. So here's my big idea. Have you, have you been waiting? I've been waiting. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. The big idea. The big idea for Abraham is really for us. Nothing must stand between ourselves and the Lord. Nothing. 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 Nothing must stand between ourselves and the Lord. We must get so close to God. We must get so close. We must know him so well that nothing he asks of us is unnerving. Nothing he requires of us is unsettling. Yes. And the day I make peace with his sovereignty and his provision is the day I will stop fighting him and resisting him and questioning him and doubting him. Have we become so attached to the gifts of God that we love the gifts more than the giver? 
All that we have here, this entire church, our relationships, our marriages, our family, our homes, our jobs, they're wonderful gifts, but they're not the giver. The message of this passage, what what the author is trying to do in this text is to say, God is the giver. Let nothing come between you and God. Church, please, hold loosely what you cherish deeply because it's not yours to keep. And Genesis 22, 4 says that Abraham called the place, he called the place, he named it, the Lord will provide. He, he did not name it the place where Abraham obeyed. It was called where the Lord provided. And enduring faith comes from the Lord's provision, not personal effort. See, Moriah was not just a place of provision. It's a place of transformation. God wasn't just taking Abraham to a place He was making Abraham into a person. Abraham simply wasn't going somewhere. He was becoming someone. Hmm. Oh, and before I sit down, I'm going to tell you where God's taken us. See, See, Genesis 22, 7, Isaac asks his father, where is the lamb? Where is the lamb? And in John chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist answers that question. Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because because Genesis chapter 22 prepares us for the Gospels. You see, Isaac was spared. Jesus was not. Isaac carried the wood. Jesus was nailed to the cross. Abraham was willing to put his son to death. The father willed that the son should die. And listen to me, listen to me. It's not that the son resisted. You see, see, Christianity is not the father willing the son against what he would be willing to do. No, no, no. Christianity is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit working together. One God, three persons to bring us into his kingdom. That's Christianity. And the ram was offered in place of Isaac. Jesus was offered in place of sinners. And Abraham received Isaac back figuratively. Jesus rose from the dead literally. And why? Why? For my sin. 1 Peter 2.21 He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness, for by his wounds you have been healed. Jesus experienced the holocaust of crucifixion for us. And that's why he's better. That's why he's better. And he is why we gather. And he is why we sing and worship. And he is why we remember the Lord's Supper. There was no ram in the thicket at Calvary. The knife of crucifixion was plunged into the heart of Christ. He's better. And the miracle of Easter is that God provided life where only death was expected. And Abraham believed that God would find a way to bring life in a place drenched in death. And he was right. The Lord did provide. The Lord did provide. And the Lord continues to provide for you and for me. 
And that's the message. Listen, please let nothing stand between you and the Lord. Let nothing, nothing, not your children, not your job, not your bank account, not your grandchildren, let nothing stand between you and God. That's the message for today. And one day, when we arrive in the presence of our King, He will say to us, Well done, you trusted me. You trusted my provision. Your enduring faith came by my provision. You believed. You believed. You followed through. Well done. Well done. Well done. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. And then that, and then that verse says, here it is, here it is. But we, we can never prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for them who will trust and obey. You know the chorus? Trust and obey, for there's no other.